0: Following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, my dad used to play um, softball. He played in the church softball league. It was a very big deal for him. It was one of his favorite things to do. Um, he actually just turned 60 this past week, and, and he, uh, on the phone, told me at the end of his most recent softball season, he said, I think I have to hang on my cleats. I think this is it for me in softball. So it was kind of a sad thing um, for him. But this was back when he was um, younger, uh, probably almost as young as me, which is really young. But um, <laughs> we, we had one of these um, softball tournaments where he had to go from field to field on a Saturday. And I was playing on the playground at the time that the game concluded at field number one. And my parents, in a hurry got in the car and drove away to field number two, leaving me behind. I was forgotten and abandoned on the teeter-totter. <clears throat> I was actually young enough that this, this legitimately terrified me. And, um, I'm sure they realized their folly within like 90 seconds and came back. But for me, seeing that powder blue Volkswagen Rabbit hatchback pull out of the thing was like the scariest moment I've had in my life to that date, to that point. Um, Forgotten and abandoned by my own parents. Um, We laugh about it now. It's kind of a funny, one of those family around the Christmas tree stories that you tell and chuckle. Um, and the truth is, uh, it, it sort of serves to remind me how fortunate I actually am when it comes to my parents. Uh, that is the closest I can come to a personal story of abandonment by my parents. Um, 90 seconds on a teeter totter. Right. I know that some of you have much, much worse stories. Much more painful stories. Stories that you can't actually laugh about around the Christmas tree because you still have no connection. And even those of us who do have good relationships with our parents probably all carry with us one story or another of times when we felt forgotten or abandoned. Maybe by bosses or coworkers. Maybe by people who we called friends, but apparently didn't think of us as friends when they went on that fun outing without us. Maybe even by the church, the place that's really supposed to be a sanctuary. Maybe even by a pastor, the one who is charged with caring for your soul. We all carry some version of this story of pain, of being forgotten and abandoned. And this morning I want to tell you that even though everyone else may forget you, God always remembers you. Even though other people may look at you and see right through you and never notice you're there, God sees you even though people may not appear to hear you or listen to you when you speak from your heart, God hears and listens to you. See, people may forget that they made a promise, and kids, yes, even parents sometimes forget that they made a promise or for some other reason fail to keep it. But God does not forget his children, and God does not forget his promises. Let me tell you about the family of Abraham. That is the series that we are in this month. Today's the last traditional message in this series, and next week we'll have a really fascinating um, interfaith panel where we have representatives from the Abrahamic faiths speaking about who Abraham is in their tradition. But let me tell you about the family of Abraham. Here are the names of Abraham's family. And I'll even give you the the meaning of the names because these names are significant. Their meaning is significant to the story. And you might surmise that the names came later even, that as this oral tradition was passed down, the, the the meaning of the names was a helpful handle in keeping the story of God alive in the community of his people. But of course, this starts with Abram. Abram uh, was the one who God called and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abram means exalted father. And later his name was changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And you have Abraham's son Isaac, born to Abraham and his wife Sarah in their old age. And he was named, he laughs, because it was laughable that they should have children at their age. And you have Isaac's son, the younger of twins, Jacob, who stole his brother's inheritance and his brother's blessing from the father. Jacob's name means heel grabber, which is a Hebrew idiom for deceiver. Sort of like calling your child shifty eyes, as I said last week. (laughs) And Jacob had 12 sons by four different women, two wives and each of their handmaids. But the one through whom the story continues is Joseph, which means may he add, may he add another, which his mother was really hoping for because she was in this child-rearing competition with the other wife and with the handmaidens. And before you know it, of course, Joseph finds himself in Egypt, rising in the courts of the Egyptian king, the pharaoh. And then the people come, his brothers and their families come, and the Hebrews settle in Egypt. And before you know it, The Exodus story is underway, and all of the stuff that happens in the family of Abraham and the family of God's people kind of hinges on Joseph and his time in Egypt. So after Joseph, you're off and running with all that stuff we did on those cool flannel graph boards a few months ago, a few weeks ago. But when we tell the story this way... When we use that common phrase of Yahweh, the God of Israel, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is what we so often say, we are forgetting someone. There is a forgotten son in this story. And so today, I want to remember the forgotten son. And I want to remember his mother, too. The story starts with his mother. And so let's turn to it now. I'd like to look at Genesis 16, first of all. I'm going to read you this story, and if you'd like to follow along, you can do that in your own Bibles, or you can take one of the red Bibles that's all around here, that are all around here, and you're going to look to page 11. You don't have to go very far to get to Genesis 16. This part of the story happens before Abraham and or Abram and Sarai receive their new names. They've been given the promise, but there has not been any child. And so the promise is looking bleak. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name had whose name was Hagar. Now, Early in the story of Abram and Sarai, um, as they begin to follow God's call, they find themselves in Egypt for a while. And there's a a troubling kind of story where Abram pretends that Sarai is his sister so that the pharaoh will invite her into the harem, and it's very kind of messy. And they leave Egypt, and one of the things that they leave with is this slave girl, Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, verse 2, "'You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children.' Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, we shouldn't fault Hagar too much for this. After all, she was uprooted from her family, became the slave girl of this very old woman and this very old, possibly creepy man, who then made her pregnant. So when she looks with contempt on Sarai, it's not like I'm better than you because I'm pregnant. It's, I'm pregnant. How how could you do this to me? That's how I read it. Chapter 5. Then Sarai said to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. This is what's called passing the buck. And you see the men in Scripture doing it all the time. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, which, by the way, is the same word that's used of the Egyptian slave masters, how they deal harshly with the Israelites later on. And she ran away from her. So let's stop there for a minute. We've looked at this, and I want you to to think of it from Hagar's perspective. Uprooted from her homeland, given or sold or purchased into this strange foreigner family, brought into this different religious worldview than what she was accustomed to, and then treated harshly. Hagar is a a variation on an Arabic word that means flight or fugitive. And it's because what happens now is that she leaves, she flees. Resume in verse 7, and now we kind of get God's perspective on this woman. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Sarah, she said, I am running away from my mistress Sarai. Notice she doesn't answer the second half of the question. She knows where she's coming from, but she doesn't know where she's going. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, And this is huge. I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. Does this sound very familiar to the promise given to Abraham himself? And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Ishmael means God listens, God hears. The angel goes on to say, Ishmael shall be a wild ass of a man, with his hand against everyone. Grow up. <laughs> And, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live, I laughed too. He shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, which is amazing to me. She's naming Yahweh, she's naming God, Elroy. For she said, Here have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Elroy is God of seeing, or the God who sees. So God has heard. This woman who had no one to hear her cry. And he has seen this woman who had no one to see her affliction. Therefore the well, the spring of water where she was, was called Be'er Lahai Roy. Which means well of the living one who sees. And then Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So she flees the family and the angel turns her around and sends her back, but not without any reassurance. The promise given to Abraham and his descendants is reiterated to Hagar. So Hagar goes back to Abram and Sarai and lives with them for another 14 years during which time God gives Abram and Sarai their new names, Abraham and Sarah, and he establishes the sign of the covenant that he's made with them, which is circumcision. Now Sarah would eventually become pregnant with Isaac, but I have to think that during this fourteen years there were at least moments where they thought that Ishmael was going to be the only thing that they the only child that they had. He was the, the, he was the only basket they could put their eggs in or apples in or whatever that that metaphor is. So when Isaac is conceived, when Sarah becomes pregnant with her own biological son, and when he's born, it's a huge shift in perspective for them and the tensions with Hagar and with Ishmael are renewed and made even worse. So let's turn ahead a few pages and we'll pick up the story in Genesis 21. Start with verse 8, which is page 15 in these red Bibles. The child grew, now this is Isaac. The natural born son of Abraham and Sarah. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. Now, some other translations I've seen say that he's teasing him or giving him a hard time. It probably doesn't really matter which of those things it is. Sarah's response is the same. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman. Won't even use her name. She's been with him 20 years. For the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, "'Do not let me look on the death of the child.' And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, "'What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is.' Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So the promise is reiterated for Ishmael again, twice in this second wilderness encounter, this second experience of a woman at a well. God was with him, it says, as he went away from his father. And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab peoples. And now... There's not one but two families of Abraham and they are at odds with each other. Imagine how the world might have been different if God's chosen patriarch, Abraham, had dealt more kindly with the mess in his family which, after all, he made. Sarah, too, if they had acted Graciously and in a godly way, imagine the way the world might have been different. Now see, Ishmael is the forgotten son. He's forgotten to us because our story doesn't come through his line. But even when everyone else forgets, God remembers. Even when everyone else is not listening, God hears. And even when everyone else is not looking, God sees. Hagar, who had served the family for 20 years, was cast out of the house. Abraham, the boy's own father, sent him and his mother away with nothing but some bread and a skin of water. Basically, here's some Dasani, good luck. The very people who were supposed to be looking out for Ishmael, for his mother, were the ones who caused him harm. They were the ones who cast him aside. And it's bad enough that the boy's father forgot about him. But don't forget, Abraham is also the spiritual leader of this newly formed tribe. He is the one who bore the promise God had made. So until the angel tells Hagar and Ishmael otherwise... This would have seemed not only like being cut off from their family, but being cut off from the story of God. Being cut out of religious community. Left truly alone. Abandoned and forgotten. But not so fast because Yahweh intervened. And he honored the promise. This is huge to me. Remember last week when I said that God will use you in spite of your failings, but he probably won't spare you from all the consequences. This, is, this story is an earlier and a version and a variation on that same lesson. You might say that God will use you not in spite of your own failings this time, but in spite of the brokenness that others have caused in you through no fault of your own. So even though everyone else may forget you, God remembers. People may forget about you, but God hasn't forgotten about you. People may break their promises and forget them, but God does not forget his children, and God does not forget his promises. God hears and sees suffering. He recognizes the outcast. That's what Ishmael's name means. God hears me. And you see this time and time again in the ministry of Jesus, who is, of course, our access point into this story, this family of Abraham. So much of Jesus' ministry was spent among the outcasts. With religious outsiders, as I like to call them. Tax collectors, drunks, prostitutes, homeless people, the disabled, lepers. All of those who society, even religious society said, no, keep your distance. Those were the ones that seemed Jesus was drawn to. And so, if you are feeling like an outcast, if you feel that you have been forgotten by the people who should have loved you, I want to tell you that you are just who Jesus is looking for. He is not concerned with the people who have their act together quite as much, He doesn't seem drawn to the experts, to the insiders. to those who the world would describe as blessed. Jesus does not reply to your tweet that says hashtag blessed. He's not interested (laughs) in the hashtag blessed people. (laughs) That was not in my notes. (laughs) See, I took this very nice poignant moment and I just blew it to pieces with a stupid Twitter joke. Sorry about that. He, said, he himself said, it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, right? And so if you feel like an outcast, if you feel forgotten and alone and unheard and unseen and invisible to the world, you are the one who Jesus wants to get close to. And he invites you to his table, and in a minute, I will invite you to his table as well. But first, I want to say a word to others of us in the room. Because there are some of us in the room who are hashtag blessed, aren't we? Right? There are some of us in the room who are on the inside, who feel very comfortable in our skin, who uh, through good fortune or providence or some combination of the two have had uh, a, a good family life and have been able to find work and have good health. And seem to sail through life. And you come to this place and you connect to this community and you think, Artisan is so great. It's nice how they've welcomed me. Well, you know what? Some of you are pretty easy to welcome. As the church, we are the body of Christ. Christ. That means that we are the physical representation of his work in the world. As the church, we are the ones who are here in physical form right now who can reach out to broken people, who can invite those who have been cast aside into community with us. We are the ones who can see the invisible people. We are the ones who can hear those who nobody listens to, We are called to make the earthly reality match up with the heavenly ideal. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do we do it? I am not so sure that we do it. We're not always doing a good job of living up to that calling. Especially when it comes to seeing and hearing and remembering Those who are outcasts, those who are oppressed, those who don't match up with our expectation, those whose pictures we wouldn't put on our website to demonstrate what an awesome community we have. Abraham and Sarah clearly didn't think that Ishmael was worthy of God's promise, but God had other ideas about who is worthy of his promise. God always seems to have other ideas about who's worthy of his promises. And so I want us to conclude this morning by praying together a confession of sin. It's the one that we use most weeks when we pray this prayer. This morning I moved it to this point because I think that we have some sin to confess in this area. I often ask you to grab on tightly to that phrase, what we have left undone. It is much easier to identify the sins that we commit than to identify the sins that we omit. I want to pray this prayer of confession because I think it's some, these are words that we have to say as we think about our relative success or failure in welcoming the stranger before we trot joyously to the table of the Lord. Let's pray this prayer of confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, Having confessed your sin and our sin together, we now are invited to Christ's table. This great leveling of the playing field to which he invites us all. You don't need to be a member of our church or of our denomination in order to come to this table. You simply need to be trusting and following Jesus and saying to him as he extends this meal of his own body and blood to you, Yes, please, I want it. I want to come to your table. If you want to come, he is calling you here. If you're not in that place, it's perfectly okay to stay where you are, to think, to pray, to meditate, to ponder. And if you'd like personal prayer, you can have that up here. We're going to continue to sing as we engage this next few acts of worship. The table of the Lord is open now. I invite you all to come. Amen.